0: Hey Siri, call dad.
1: Calling dad. Okay. Hey man. Yeah.
0: Is this uh is this Domino's pizza?
1: No. I think you at the wrong place. This is uh, compound chicken, Chinese food.
0: (sighs) That's the one kind of chicken I'm allergic to. I'm sorry, I can't. Oh,
1: well, (laughs) good luck.
0: (laughs) Uh, So, uh, did you manage to... uh, I don't know what you said you were going to do, like clean up or eat or what.
1: I'm just waiting for you.
0: Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I I just ate and I uh, had a nice shower. So I'm feeling uh-huh. I'm feeling clean as a baby right now. Good. Um, so thank you for being on my podcast first and foremost. No problem. I know we did this once before, but I am glad that we are doing it once again. Okay. Um, so I guess I kind of want to leave it up to you to introduce yourself to any and um, any potential listeners that could be out there at this moment.
1: Well, first and foremost, I'm, I'm
0: Alvaro's father. Wait, really?
1: Caesar, okay. yes.
0: And a good, and a good father.
1: I hope so. <laughs> no,
0: no. What are you talking about? You've been a good dad. Um, okay. and and obviously, I am your son.
1: Yes, you are.
0: So, as is, is, uh, what else would you say to introduce yourself?
1: Well, I've lived a long life. I'm getting towards the edge of it. Um, but my life has been full. Many, many, many events and many, many experiences. The whole of two cultures and two countries and uh, a lot of different paths I followed and walked. And um, I'm still at it, actually.
0: I think that... um you You're more American at this point than you are Mexican,
1: yeah, I when I was younger in California, I used to say that if the truth be known, I am actually a Greek god traveling incognito <laughs> <laughs> why because of the way you look? No, it's just uh, a farce, you know I just I used to say that because people would ask me where exactly are you from, you know. You, you and, know, I know, and, and when I was in California I didn't want to say I was Mexican Mexican you know
0: Was that because a bad look
1: It's it's a it's it's not a very favorable to you down there because that's the entry point for a lot of uh, people from down south right who are you know destitute and poor and ignorant too
2: you know? Right, right.
1: So I, I, I didn't want to be lumped with them, you
0: know. You know the truth is is I've noticed this about myself, but I'm I, I'm sure it applies to you a lot. Um I feel like we could pass as anything. Because like I I've had people come up to me and like think that I was Jewish because they were afraid to make a Jewish joke around me.
3: Mm-hmm. And I've
0: had people say that like I mean, I wouldn't say Middle Eastern, but I feel like I could pull off like some sort of like slight Arabic and then like also Spanish like I definitely I yeah. definitely do look Spanish and American at the same time so I, I feel like I, I'm sure that that applies to you too like we're, we're both kind of um of uh, a vague mix if you will
1: yeah I would say so I mean we could pass for Italian we could pass for um, even Greek mm. middle, middle Eastern. Yeah, you, know? you could say i'm i i am egyptian and it would pass or uh, i'm from morocco and you could pass right or, or you know or lebanese you know
0: you know that's actually it, it, i feel like it's a very favorable thing because i feel like depending on where you are in the country you could just be like like if you go to the south you could be like oh yeah like like what you said you're a greek god amongst whatever whatever but like yeah. if you if you went to like a certain part of the world like Europe or something for some reason they didn't like I don't know Moroccan people you'd be like well I'm Spanish so like I don't know what you're talking about
1: right
3: <laughs>
1: So when I was I used to go visit this uh, this love of mine that it never worked out but it was I was obsessed with this woman mm-hmm. and and she was directed from New Rochelle outside of New York City you know.
0: Oh, I I've definitely heard this this uh, lady before.
1: Yeah, her name is Kathy, mm-hmm. and Kathy, uh, and so whenever I used to go there, um, she was busy many, doing many things during the day. So I would go into Manhattan, and all the Puerto Ricans in Central Park and everywhere would say, "Hey man, yeah," because they identified with me. They thought, "No, no, 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 no. you got to be Puerto Rican. You look just like my bro in San Juan." Blah blah blah. And
0: that's actually something I, I guess I'm curious about is, um, so as being someone from Mexico, I was wondering if, cause for me, I, as like, just like a kid that just grew up in the U.S., I feel like to me, all of Central and South America is like one big blob of Latino people. I was wondering if to you, there's like, I guess not reputations or stereotypes, but yeah, reputations or stereotypes. Like, it, it, do, does each country kind of have their own vibe? Of course. Could you elaborate on some of those?
1: Well, you know, like uh, the whole Central America stuff Nicaragua, uh, El Salvador, uh, Guatemala, you know, even Panama. All of that Central America, you know there's just it's, it's, it's just a bunch of different people and their their accents are slightly different you know and and their uh, cultural traits are slightly different too but you know they're all uh, very similar in many ways too you know but like for example, the people from El Salvador don't like people from like Nicaragua or Guatemala. they think they're special, you know. <laughs> they do, you know, right? And there's a lot of very fair, complexed people coming out of El Salvador, you know.
0: So there's like a bit of like a like a superiority complex kind of thing. Yes. Huh. Interesting. So yeah. have you <clears throat> have you noticed any patterns among like the people that you've gotten along with the best in terms of like the countries from South and Central America?
1: Well, I uh, I had a lot of friends from El Salvador when I was in California. Okay. You I, know, I uh, uh, one of my girlfriends was from El Salvador. You know, the one that was the, that there was the mother of uh, that half sister, half daughter, daughter. You know.
0: Oh right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. The the recently discovered. Uh,
1: daughter. Precisely, yeah. Uh, see, I actually went to Santa Monica High School and I was uh, uh, very uh, good friends with her sister, Yvonne. Uh-huh. Yvonne was older than Miriam. Uh-huh. And Yvonne was uh, Luis Louis, Louis, Louis Argueta Salanga, who was from El Salvador. She was Yvonne's boyfriend, and uh, and I spent a lot of time living with uh, Louis in uh, in West Los Angeles. Uh huh. So so we both went out with uh, with the two sisters, Yvonne and uh, Miriam.
0: That must have been fun. Wait, wait. So I I I noticed some, you said something. So you went to high school in California. Yeah, I did. But. Would you? Did you? Did you still live in Mexico at the time?
1: No, no, no. I I moved from Mexico to L.A. Uh, at uh, sixteen years old. Almost, uh, between fifteen and sixteen years old, my sister was working in L.A., so I just moved over there with her.
0: Okay, and how old was your sister at the time? How much older than you is she?
1: My sister is three years older than I.
0: Okay, cool. So it was just you two kind of like figuring it out in L.A.
1: Yes.
0: Wow. So I guess, so what year was this that you were 16?
1: 1959, I believe. Okay. 1959, yeah.
0: So I guess like, I mean, I'm sure people like know like what L.A. was like, but I guess paint the picture of what L.A. was like when you were 16 and going to high school.
1: Well, um, it's hard to describe because um, I lived in Santa Monica, which is actually West L.A., you know, Uh the the northern west side of Los Angeles. And there, there was um, a lot of American whites, you know, a lot of whites, which became most of my friends, you know. Mm.
0: Oh, so you also grew up amongst white people. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of a parallel between our childhoods. Like, we, we both kind of grew up around just, like... Well, I mean, it's not that crazy of a thing for us to grow up around white people, but, like, like I kind of... I, I feel like when I moved to that's kind of, like, what I was surrounded with was just, like, a lot of, like, affluent white people.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, above uh, middle
2: class. Right. The same as Santa
1: Monica where I was, yes. Oh. Uh-huh. Between... um. Santa Monica in Venice, California, there was Ocean Park. And Ocean Park was right on the water, and there was a huge, uh, amusement park there, and it was a merry-go-round, it was a, uh, uh, uh roller coaster. It was it's called Pacific Ocean Park. And my sister worked right on the promenade next to Pacific Ocean Park at a handout stand, you know, uh, Jack's at the beach, it was called, and they, they served, like, you know, hamburgers, and, you know, like that. Wow. My sister worked there, and my first wife, Jeanette, her mother worked there also. Her mother and my sister worked at the same place, and that's where I met my first wife, who, at the time that I met her, she was only 13.
0: Right, and you were 16.
1: Uh, I was 17.
0: it's and funny because um I feel like the idea of a 17 year old and a 13 year old getting together in my a in my like time period is like not to not to say that you're an old person but in my time period 17 years old means you're a junior in high school getting together yeah. with a seventh grader
1: yeah so but, but, to, to us but actually, actually my first wife
0: develop really quick at 13 right well well, what i was saying was that like to me to to us i feel like that's like an age difference that's considered like very uh uh like almost taboo like it's too big of an age difference for us yeah which is interesting because for you i'm assuming like back then it was like a, a much more normal
1: huh
0: I said, I said back then, that age difference was probably, was it not as big of a deal?
1: Right. Actually, if you put us together at that point in time, we both look almost about the same age. Right. Because I always looked very young.
0: Yeah, I, I saw a couple of pictures of you and you did look very young. You looked nothing like what I expected.
1: Right.
0: You and I don't look similar at all alike yeah i i i feel like my looks came from mom
1: yes they do
0: um
1: like i don't have any hair in my body almost
0: yeah and i'm hairy as fuck
1: and you do you know
0: yeah so okay so this kind of brings me to something i guess i'm curious about is like how how are you and i similar, and how are we different?
1: Well, physically, we don't resemble each other at all. Right. But, but emotionally, you took out a lot of... Um, you adapted a lot of my uh, ways of being and thinking and everything because you were with me in those first seven years every day.
0: Oh, so I kind of inherited a lot of it
1: and the most the most important part of a child's development is the first seven years,
0: of course, I mean, you're so malleable,
1: yes, and so we, you and I were very, very close, and it was very easy for you to recognize that I was crazy about you, you know yeah, so that you so that your your attitude towards me was totally totally um embracing, you
0: know. Right. Well, we 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 had a good time. I mean, we would just I mean, you would take me to school and we would just kind of fuck around before class started. Yeah.
1: And then every day, yeah, every, every, day. Every, every every day. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and then after you would pick me up and we would just go home and like fuck around at the house. Yes. So that was a pretty dope time. Even
1: before even when you were a baby. Right. know from the moment that you were born you landed in my arms and my hands because your mother was always working right and i was trying to fix that house Uh i mean the house the first house where you were where you grew up and you learned how to walk and all of that was a, a wreck when we bought it
0: yeah i remember seeing pictures of it
1: but 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 um it was the only three, uh, three, three, uh, it? three apartment house available for me, you know, for mm. what I wanted. Right. I wanted as much as possible to, um, so that we could see this is a thing that you couldn't recognize at that point in time because, uh, you were too little. But um, when I got to the house, it was a wreck, an absolute wreck. And at first, I had to get rid of the tenants. In the first floor, there were two brothers and a girlfriend, and a cat and a dog. And the one of the brothers was mentally retarded, mm-hmm. and the other one was not that bright either. But he was a uh... oh, hang on one second, okay?
0: Oh, no worries.
1: Okay. So so that um um they could hardly afford the rent. Right. And when I got when I got the place, I raised the rent because in order for me to pay the mortgage, I needed to do that.
0: Well, of course, you needed to make money off the house.
1: And I did. I wanted them to leave anyway. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I didn't care if they left. In fact, I wanted them to leave so that uh, I could I could fix the apartments better and rent them for more.
2: Right, right, right.
1: But from that point on, uh, I uh, hang on. Okay, <laughs> that's okay. From that, from that point on, I uh, I was busy with the house, every aspect of the house. Oh, of course. But like I said, it was a a wreck. Right. And so I needed to fix it as much as possible, which I did. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, yeah. I, I mean, you've, de- you've definitely like told me about this. Yeah, it was like it was a complete shit show.
1: I. But I. I it seems. It
0: seems the- like you're like very proud of it, which I get because it was a shit show. But yeah it seems like you were very proud of it which I get because it was it was the house was a complete shit show
1: well what I did is uh, Carlos Carlos was still there was still here I mean and Carlos and I did the the top floor really quick you know in order to get um, to get you and Maria uh, moved in because um, they had raised my rent and In in Somerville, which is where we were living before, they doubled my rent because Francisco, the owner of the property, loved me, but his son was looking to, uh, to up my rent as quickly as possible, you know?
2: Right, right, right.
1: And Francisco was already getting very old, you know, he was close to 80.
0: That house was amazing. I mean, I, I, I enjoyed living in Malden because it was like, I was just happy that it was like, it was like a blue collar town, you know? It was. It and was. I and I really enjoyed that because, I, this sounds stupid almost, but like there were black people there <laughs> and there were Latino people there and there, were, there was diversity there. Yeah. Like both of our neighbors were black and I don't know. I mean, I just think it was a, I think it was important that I had that because then then when we moved to it was the exact the opposite.
1: The, the lady on one side was from Haiti.
0: Uh wait, the lady in the blue house or the white house?
1: The one next door to us. Well, no, there's on two
0: the ha- on the left side?
1: On the left side,
0: yeah. Uh, it was you like a three-story know. house, right?
1: Yeah, and you really liked her. And you were always saying hi to her. She loved you.
0: Yeah, she was really friendly. I remember that. She w- loved you. Well, I mean, come on. No, I'm joking. No, really. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know she did. Yeah, although I remember I remember that w- when you tried to build a uh, a unit in the basement, the other neighbors reported you. Yeah. Which was a shit show because you spent like you spent like a, a, I don't know how long making that place up, and then, uh, and then you had to tear it down.
1: Yeah, that was really. That was like seven thousand dollars.
0: That is what talk about a tough what, pill to swallow. Yeah, but you know,
1: I live with the bunks, you know.
0: I know. You, there, I mean, you have no choice.
1: Precisely.
0: Yeah, well, I I mean, now that we're talking about this, like, basement unit, I mean, I remember, because I remember when you and mom were kind of having, like, it, problems and you were sleeping downstairs and mom was sleeping upstairs. I remember well, that I would... I, no, no, no. no I, wait, hold on, hold on. Let me finish. I remember that I came, I would spend the weekends downstairs <laughs> with you And we would just kind of, like, fuck around and, like, do whatever. And then during the week, I would have to sleep upstairs. Because when I was downstairs with you, I would have to play. I would just play video games. You were what? I would just play video games.
1: (laughs) I don't remember that, but anyway.
0: Yeah, you were probably asleep.
1: I used to run up there to to check on you when I was working on the... Uh, on the rest of the house, and um, your eyes would get real big when I come up to Right. But you were, you know, in the bed because you were just a baby.
2: Yeah.
0: So, um...
1: Yeah. I never knew, I, I didn't know how to fix anything that much, you know?
0: What do you mean? Like, physically or emotionally?
1: No, physically, you know, the, all the work and the apartment and stuff. Right. But I got it all done.
0: Yes, you did. Well,
1: I got as much done as possible. I wasn't all that good at it either.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, but, yeah, that was. I feel like that was like between then and like later on. I like we were very close when we were younger. When I was younger. Mm-hmm. But then I think once once you and mom got divorced.
1: Once I got thrown out of the house, mean.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes, dad. You got thrown out of the house. But after that point, you and I kind of like, we weren't as close.
1: Yeah, because you were in, and then you were, uh, you know, hanging out with your friends. And, uh, and I was all the way involved, and I was just trying to survive. Yeah. You know, yeah, so the, the
0: convenience not- that the convenience wasn't really there, right? And that's so important, especially like once the once a kid gets older, because they have their own friends. So if you're not there, then it's like
1: you're not there.
0: You're not there. Yeah. You have to go. Uh, you
1: have to go where you are, where you're, where you're at. You know. Yeah you became, uh, you
0: know, uh, like... a little bit too much.
1: Yeah, well, there was no, nothing I could do about that.
0: Yeah. Part of me, like, I feel like it's kind of weird. I feel like part of me resents being from or having spent so much time there because, like, I don't know. I guess I just hate, like, well-off Privileged people.
1: <laughs> yeah, you became one of them.
0: Yeah, like even saying that feels like like it. it I, like I don't like saying that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Because like I don't know. I guess like it's just such a bubble.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Not that not that living in Malden wasn't also a bubble. Because I mean we were well off, but it was way more. About. I want to clarify that. I don't hate this town. Like, not at all. I got to grow up here and I basically made all of my high school friends, all of my middle school friends my like half of my childhood was here. So I like I I love this town. Like it was it's it is my home. I think the reason I was just talking so much shit about it is because I just, I just kind of resent that it's such a bubble. A little bit. It's like I maybe it's maybe I resent that like people are like sometimes not aware of how much of a bubble it is, and so like that kind of like pisses me off. And for that reason, I I always thought of myself as like, like yeah, I'm in the bubble, but I'm not in the bubble because I like came from Malden, so like I know, but. You know, being here half your life, there's no way that it hasn't affected the way I think, the way I view things. I am a part of the bubble. But yeah, a part of me resents that a little bit. So that's all I was trying to say when I was talking trash about this town. I I love the people that I met. I have have amazing friends. I have all these great things that, that came with the town. There's a little bit of like the... Everybody's so fucking privileged here. Fuck these people, <laughs> kind of kind of mentality, if that makes sense. Back to the podcast. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty town, but I don't which,
3: know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But yeah, no.
1: I got fired from a job uh-huh. because the uh, the manager found out that I was living in, and he looked at me and he goes. I don't know where the hell he lived, but he looked at me and said, you live in I said, yeah. And that was, he, he hated me from that moment on.
0: Right, because you don't look the part.
1: Well, he was like uh, envious that, you know, a Mexican from south of the Borders he just invades uh, in the best part of, of the town, you know?
0: I mean, That's happened. That, I mean... That's happened. Right, I mean, that's also, that is, uh, I mean, the reason behind that is also, I mean, it's a little bit of an assumption on your part. Like, maybe he just didn't like you, period.
1: Well, he didn't like anybody anyway, he was a <laughs> boss. Right. You know?
0: Yeah. So, I guess I'm curious, so...
1: So, he fired...
0: Yeah. Um, I so, Dad. I guess like something I'm curious about is like we're well, not curious about, but like something I guess I I is like an interesting thing is is like the tra- trajectory of our relationship. Uh huh. Because like we already mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but like we were really close when we were young, and then we had like this like seven or eight year gap where mm-hmm. we just like didn't really talk. Mm-hmm. And then. In college, it was, like, rocky. Mm-hmm. But then now it's stronger than it's ever been.
1: Yeah. Well, you're older.
0: That's true.
1: And you are, you are more understanding. Yeah. When you when you were younger, like, high school and stuff, you could give a shit, you know?
0: Right. I mean, you I had...
1: had I, you had all of that... Uh,
2: upbringing
1: kind of making you different, you know? Right, right, right.
0: So, Dad... Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, you go ahead.
1: But, you know, we survived it all, you know?
0: Yes, we did. And it only took me moving 700 miles away for us to get close.
1: Real close. Real close. Yeah, well, because I'm I'm here for you, you know.
0: That means a lot.
1: Yeah, means a lot to me too.
0: You've been, you've like, you've really been there for me for like this trek. Cause, like, I mean, whether it's just like, like, remember that whole thing where that that guy took my money? Yeah. Like, I lost. For context, for anybody who hasn't doesn't know, but basically, I lost. I, rent, I lent $200 to some bum because he asked me for it and then he never paid me back. Right. Yeah, that was a shit show. That was when I discovered that confrontation is not my strong suit.
1: Right. You're just a nice guy. Like, you're dead.
0: Yeah. I just don't want to... I, I, I feel like, yeah, confrontation is not my strong suit just because, like, I mean maybe this is a bit of like an analysis of uh, like over analysis of like I guess my childhood or something but I feel like the fact that you and mom got divorced made me very non-confrontational and like it, it almost made me like the guy that's friends with everybody in a sense like like no one really dislikes me but I'm not super close with anybody. You know, like I'm, yeah. like, I'm always, I'm always, I feel like, the, I'm not, I feel like this sounds like I'm, like, bragging or something. I'm not, like, I'm saying, like, I'm always in the middle. Aha. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Like, whether it's between you and mom, whether it's between you and Violeta, whether it's between, like, my friends not liking other friends or whatever. Yeah. I mean, maybe this is something that, like, you've been through, too. I mean, I don't know if this is something you've experienced.
1: You're very diplomatic with your relationships,
0: right? Are you that way?
1: Yeah, but but you know, I, I bypass a lot of people. I I either like somebody or I don't like them. They can tell. Right.
0: You you don't even you don't even like try and hide that. No. Right.
1: I'm very selective. You know, I if. If I like somebody, they know it immediately. But if I don't like them, they know it immediately too. Mm.
0: W- okay, so what would you say is like something like w- what is like a pet peeve of yours? Like something that like you that is hard for you to get along with in general with people.
1: I I don't have a particular thing. It's just it, it's it's intuitive.
0: It's just a vibe. Yeah. I took out right. this like 3 or 4 minute section just cuz we kind of started talking about something a little bit private that I didn't really want to share. The conversation kind of evolves and then we end up talking about my dad's father. So dad, um I guess like something I you mentioned earlier that or not on this podcast, but you mentioned that you like wanted to talk about earlier was uh, I guess like your dad, because yeah, you, you had a rather rocky relationship with your dad.
1: Well, you know, <clears throat> I uh, I was very 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 young when um, when the tragedy happened. You know, uh, uh, and you know the only source of the story was from my father's side because I never knew anybody on my mother's side. And the reason why I didn't know any of my mother's side is because my father was trying to hang on to us, at least in his mind, you know, and and not have anything to do with, with that family. You know?
0: Uh, not have anything to do with your mom's family? Yeah. He didn't like them?
1: Well, here's what happened with that. When he met my mother, she was she was suffering from stomach ache or something, and they were at a festival in at in a, a Central Park in Lyon, you know? Uh-huh. And um, he was with a friend, and it was the friend that noticed my mother and her sister because you know the the festivals like that, they all the girls walk around together, you know, and they go all around the park, and they're, you know, it's kind of like a parade around the the the, the park. It's a full it's a full block, you know. Right. So um, so his friend kept saying, "Hey, look at these chicks, man! They're really beautiful." Blah 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 blah. And my father kept saying, Yeah, 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 okay, okay. Because he was not feeling well anyway.
0: Right, so he didn't really give a shit.
1: Right, exactly. So the other guy made all the moves, and so he ended up uh, uh, befriending my sister and my aunt. Uh huh. And the guy went after my mother first, you know?
0: Wait, um, you said he ended up befriending your mom and her friend?
1: No, there was her sister. Uh-huh. It was my mother and her sister.
0: Oh, okay, 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 okay.
1: They were together. Yeah. And then my father and his friend kind of befriended them. Uh-huh. But the guy was definitely after my mother. So okay. my father didn't care. He went he, he kinda of like hung out with uh with my aunt. Right? Right. So the aunt really fell for my father, but the, the problem with my aunt is that she was portly. In other words, she was a little fat. Right. And my father didn't pay attention because she wasn't really all that interested. Right. But they went out together several times, you know. And during that time, my father started liking my mother. And there was an attraction between my mother and my father, and so they're... they they sort of avoided the other two, you know.
2: Right, right, right.
1: And That's... so they started seeing each other secretly. And then when the things got a lot harder between my mother and my father, um, which was uh, quite a while, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe a year or so. And then my father went to my mother's home and asked the mother and father for her her hand in marriage. Right. With my mother.
0: Oh my God, that's so traditional.
1: And then uh, the aunt didn't know anything about it, and she went insane and jealous.
0: Right, because they had she had gone out with your dad, so she was like, "What the hell are you like doing?"
1: Like, right, exactly. So my father didn't care. My father went ahead and married my mother. Right. But the animosity between the aunt and both of them was really strong. Of course. And uh, they had two brothers as well. And the brothers were wrestlers. Really? Yeah, they were professional wrestlers, yes.
0: Like, uh, like, like, performative wrestling or, like, traditional, like, actual wrestling?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the regular wrestling in Mexico is, like, it's pre but they do it really well.
0: Oh, like, with the, with the masks and everything.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Oh, my God, that's, that's hilarious.
1: Yes, well, anyway, my father and my mother got married, and immediately after, she, my mother became pregnant.
0: With your with, sister?
1: Uh, no, with the first boy.
0: Oh, the brother.
1: Yeah, the older one. And his name was Romeo, <laughs> because my father liked Shakespearean plays. I did not know that. Yes. So, Romeo was born, and Romeo was an incredibly beautiful baby. Like you were. Thank you. Romeo, Romeo was born on 9-11. He was also a Virgo. Whoa. Because I, I have his birth certificate.
0: Whoa, that's only two days away from my birthday, holy crap.
1: And and he was beautiful. Everybody just loved him. And my mother took him to her parents' home. And something happened at her parents' home where Romeo became very ill. My father claimed that was poisoned by my aunt because she was horribly jealous of my mother and them, their marriage.
0: Wait, so do you think she would have done that?
1: Well, I have no way of knowing what really happened because I was not even born
0: Right, of course.
1: And so um, so, uh, my mother was terrified about my father finding out that the baby was sick. Right. So she kept saying, you know, and, and he kept. My father was was absolutely obsessed with his son, his first son, you know. Right. Of course. Of course. And so he kept saying, "Where's Romeo? You know, why haven't you brought him home?" And she goes, "Well, you know." She would lie about it, and she would tell my father that, you know, how her her mother was crazy about the baby and her father too. And so they would not they didn't want to let go of him for a while. Right. But my mother promised my father that he would bring she would bring him back home shortly in in a little bit, you know? Well, you know, time went by and my son my my brother was not getting any better, so my mother was torn between to tell my father or what to do or trying to cure him, you know? So my father became uh, suddenly he blew up and he uh, flew into a rage and he went, he charged to the house, the parents' house. And when he got there uh, to the crib where, where, where uh, Romeo was in the crib, he was dying. Jesus. And My father picked him out of the crib, and he died in his arms. And my father, you know, with his explosive temper, he said that he promised that he would, uh, somebody in that house was going to have to pay for that baby. But he didn't say it to anybody, you know? Right. Right. So apparently they were not getting along; they separated, and the only reason why they got back is because my mother was pregnant with my sister. Uh huh. So when my sister was born, they were really uh, uh, not getting along at all. But my sister was seven, seven months baby. Right. She was premature, big time. My father said that she would fit, when she was born, she could fit in a shoebox. And she, my sister was hovering between life and death all through the early childhood. Jesus. So they already had the problem of Romeo dying, and now my sister was almost dying every other day because she was so premature. Right. So um, for a while, they separated because my father would fly into those rages of his and beat up, uh, you know, abuse my mother. So my mother was like really in big, big uh, turmoil about all of it, you know, because she was very young.
2: How young was she?
1: When she got married, she was 18. So
0: she was what, like only 20, early 20s at this point?
1: Yes. And beautiful. Uh-huh. So somehow along the way, when the tragedy happened, somebody came to my father's job. I believe it was New Year's, or the day before New Year's. And he was working late. He's a shoemaker, you know that, cobbler.
0: I did not know
2: that.
1: Yes, his profession was he made shoes.
2: Uh
1: huh. he he was working late, and somebody came over and told him that they had seen, or that he had seen my mother talking to some guy somewhere. Oh God. Yeah, and told my father where, and my father went over there, and she was armed with, uh, you know, one of those blades that they use in those days.
2: Uh-huh,
1: and those blades were like a machete Jesus. long with uh with 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 uh you could shave with a blade it's pure steel, you know and and about uh a foot almost a foot and a half long you know almost like a sword you know and um and no handle on them, but the only thing they have in the back is they have a hole to the back, in the back, or the way in the back, in a in a in a leather uh, like grip, wrap. right? Yeah, grip, yeah. That you could put around your your wrist, so you wouldn't lose it, because otherwise you'd be dead, you know. because that's how they fought in those days. So. From what my father says, and that's questionable, you know, he said that he came up to both of them, they were in a park. And they were talking, this other guy and, him and her, my mother. And my father claimed that my mother tried to get in between them. And he said that... Uh, in those days, if somebody comes in between you and your enemy, you have to cut down that person because otherwise you'd be trapped between them and they could kill you. Right. So he struck her and the blow, the first blow was like cut her neck almost completely apart. But she died at that part. And he went after the guy, so he claimed and uh, and he ran for a couple of blocks after him, and just about when he was catching up with a guy, he tripped on a wire that was uh, on the near the ground because it was to protect new 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 new, new sod grass
3: uh-huh.
1: on a yard. So he tripped on the wire and he fell, and the guy got away.
0: Wait, so you were already born at this point? Yes. Okay. Holy crap!
1: I was a baby.
0: So let me ask you something. Why wouldn't there's something about that story that makes me believe your father? And that's that. Why would he even tell you that he did that? I don't know. Because if I if I was like like I would never want to tell my kids that I like. I don't like how could that be the lie? Like, if anything, he would say, Oh, I don't know where she went. Like, she just left.
1: No, because um, he immediately got uh, put in prison, in jail. He gave himself out because he didn't want to run away because of his two children, he said. Oh, right. He didn't want to run away from his kids. So he turned himself in and he was put into. What in those days was known as the Black Palace of Locundere, which was like um, several blocks uh, square, and there was, uh, there was a prison. Yeah. And that's where he was, and um, when he met Maria, which by that time I was already walking, and, you know, um, then Maria would take me to see him at the prison. And that's when I found out that he was in prison because he killed my mother. And
0: did he tell you, or did somebody else tell you?
1: Maria told me. Oh. Maria was like my mother.
0: Right. She was a nun, right? She was what? W- was she a nun?
1: No, 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 no. That, w-
0: no. that was something else.
1: Yeah. She was... Um, She's a single mom to a little girl a little bit older than my sister named Rachel. Right. And then she had grown-up sons, two grown-up, three grown-up sons and one grown-up daughter. The daughter was already married. But Mary was still very beautiful, very nice looking. So she she would go and visit my father, and she would take me with her. So I remember running on top of this conc- those this uh, granite tables in the prison. Really? And, uh, yeah.
0: Wow, Dad, that is like such a crazy story.
1: It's the truth.
0: By like. By modern, I mean, I don't know if back in the day that was considered like not that crazy, but by today's standards, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I know. Wait, we're talking Mexico City.
0: I know that's a different world. Not only Mexico City, but Mexico City in the nineteen like forties, thirties, forties,
1: forties. That's crazy. During the war, you know, a little after the Second World War. Wow.
0: So you wanted to just get out of Mexico, which I I totally understand.
1: Well, you know, I believe that my mother died in Mexico City, so I always had this uh, aversion for Mexico City because of that.
0: Did you ever go back?
1: I've been there. I've been back a couple of times.
0: What was it like to go back?
1: It was interesting. I, w- I went to the address. I remember the address. And what was that like? And, they, and their tenements. Very, very poor tenements.
0: Like, uh, sorry, what's a, te- a tenement?
1: They were like, uh, okay, you walk in through a big gate. Right. The gate has a door on it. that is smaller. Uh And then you walk in and there's a huge patio. And on both sides of the patio there's apartments. But there's apartments are very crude and they're very high ceiling, way up, you know? Okay. And the ceiling up on the top is uh, like uh, metal, corrugated metal. Wow. Yes. Very, 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 see, the, the, uh, the area is like a, a section like Somerville here, you know? Uh huh. But that's, it, there it's called Workers Barrio, you know? So the barrio is called Workers Barrio, and that's where like the plumbers and the, you know, Laborers work. Laborers, uh, 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 tenement barrio, yeah? Right. And we didn't live on those apartments down below. We had an apartment up on the rooftop, uh, that you had to climb a whole set of stairs all the way up. And I was left up there a lot of a lot of my time as a as a young 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 boy. I was left up there and told not to go down into the patio because in the patio there was this uh uh cement uh wash places where the ladies would go down there and wash their clothes. And it was just made out of concrete, you know. Right. And so I never went down there. I I was not allowed to go down there. Wow.
0: Wait, so what was it like to to just come back? Like was did it bring any emotions to mind or
1: when I was there this last time? Yeah. Times, I don't know. It was just uh, just like visiting an uh, an old big city.
0: Right, like, like going
1: to New York or something, you know.
0: Right, like nostalgic, but like in a not good way?
1: No, no. But Mexico City is huge. And it has uh, like, well, now it's got like 35 million people in it. Right. Just the city. So back in those days, there was still several million people.
0: I guess, like, the reason I asked that is just because, like, I feel like if I visited a place where something so dark happened, I feel like I would, I don't know, like, I, I guess I don't know how I would react.
1: Well, you know, I just, um, I just went, you know. I was in Mexico City for like a week at one time. My sister had some friends that lived in Mexico City so I went over there to visit them and they put me up for about a week. And I was driving a Volkswagen bus. Oh
2: my
0: wait, that's I love those cars. Yeah. You know we used to have one in our driveway in Malden, right?
1: Yeah, I know. I yeah, of course I know.
0: Um was that one that you would use? Like what what was it doing there?
1: I was trying to fix it. I actually never got it very well, so I sold it.
0: Right. Wow, that would be a, that would be a good vehicle to have for a road trip.
1: Oh yeah, I, I did several of those all the way down into Mexico with uh, with uh, several different ones. Wow. I have a whole album of pictures where I'm right next to the bus, and it's in in, in León and where I was born, I was there too.
0: I can totally picture you with your your uh, your short shorts and your like jufró in front of the bus.
1: I had actually quite long hair at the time, not long but uh, bushy, you know.
0: I was I feel like I mean our hair is not similar, but it's mm-hmm. it's a it's it is a little bit similar. It's like curly and bushy.
1: Mine is, too. Yeah, so so
0: my hair... So, something I've noticed is, like, uh, this is kind of changing subjects, but, like, mom's hair and Violeta's mm-hmm. hair is mm-hmm. is straight and, like, and, like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's just very straight and, like, thin. And mm-hmm. my hair is also thin, but my hair is very, very, very bushy. Yeah, I know. Whereas yeah, Violeta's but- is very straight.
1: Mine was bushy
0: too. Yeah, so I guess so that's another way we're similar. Next
1: time, next time you're here, I'll show you the pictures.
0: And please do. I would love to see that.
1: I'll take some pictures and I'll I'll, I'll send them to you.
0: Well, you know I'm coming to Boston in like uh, a month ish. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. But um, yeah. I um, I guess like one other thing I'm like curious about is like. What was it like living in L.A. with just your sister?
1: Well, you know, I immediately got a bike.
0: Like a motorcycle.
1: No, a bicycle. Uh huh. Like one of those old, but just, uh, uh, ten gauge, uh, ten ten year, you, you
2: know. Right.
1: And I used to ride my my sister on the on the uh
0: on the basket
1: on the handlebars (laughs) yeah and I take her from Ocean Park in Santa Monica and back and like that
0: what is she like
1: well my sister's always been like she claims that she's my mother you know
0: I can see why she would say something like that
1: yeah and she called me mijo mijo
0: right Do you see her as a mother figure?
1: Well, I I kind of pushed her away from that perspective, but, you know, I always loved her, you know? Right. I mean, we're very, very, very close, you know?
0: What is she like, just like her personality?
1: Well, she has a very negative side. She can be very stubborn and very feisty, you know? Right. But most of the time, she's very loving and very giving, you know. Right. Most of the time, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that was Mexico City, and uh, from then, from there, we ended up on the islands so where my my father was shipped off to the islands, you know.
0: Once he supposedly killed your mother.
1: Yeah, he was doing time for that murder. Right. So, so when people had more than a few years to be, uh, then they would go to the islands, you know. Right. The government would determine where where people would end up, you know. But you know, violent crimin- criminals were were usually sent to the islands, you know. Like that guy I told you that used to, his name, is, his name is, was Jaramillo, and he took care of a coconut grove. Yeah, coconut and rice.
0: you never, this is the guy that, like, you never asked him what his crime was.
1: Later on, I found out, I think that my father finally told me that he had killed his mother and father. Wow. Yeah.
0: You know, there's something like, like the fact that a convicted murderer who killed both of his parents being friends Mm -hmm. with a young child is like such a weirdly poetic story. Mm. I feel like that could be like a movie or a story or something.
2: Well, there were a
1: lot of people there that were, you know, famous. The guy that killed they killed Leon Trotsky. Trotsky was a mate of Karl Marx. Uh-huh. He, was, he was Russian, Karl Marx, and uh, there was another guy, Engels. Engels and Marx, right? They were the intellectuals of the communist uh, regime, you know, manifesto. And Trotsky was one of them, but he veered off with his own idea. Uh-huh. And Marx and Marx and Engels uh, did not could not stand him anymore. And so he was uh, exiled, and he went to Mexico, and the Russians sent a killer to uh, to take care of him, and the guy that, that killed Trotsky killed him with a little pick that is used to climb mountains, mountaineers' pick. It's like a little hammer. By the way, that guy that killed Trotsky went to prison for the crime, and he was known as Trotsky in the prison, but he was that was not his name. But he was the one, one, that killed Trotsky. So he was on the island.
0: And you his like? Island. Did you meet him?
1: No, I knew who he was and everything, but no, I didn't meet him. No, wow. there was not a lot of a uh, lot of relationships between um, uh, prisoners' families like mine with the prisoners. No.
0: So let me ask you something. So they sent your dad out to the island with you. Got like you went with him? No. You just visited him.
1: No, he was when he was on the island. He managed to buy a house. Uh huh. Not not anything exotic or anything, but it was a house with a big yard on it and a big fence, a wooden fence, out around it. No wooden, but tree trunks you know right? and uh, you know in a big gate with a, with a lock and stuff you know there was one in the front and one in the back and if you went out to the front you went out the front gate you walked two blocks down and you were at the harbor where the pier was and if you went out the back of this property you end up right in the middle of the jungle already it's, yeah, it
0: sounds beautiful.
1: It was actually very nice looking.
0: It sounds like I'm picturing like Caribbean blue waters.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely clear, and the, and the uh, the beach on the front. See, there were like little communities in different areas, and this this was called Bayeto, and Bayeto was like the entry port. That's where the the uh, the the ship that came in with the provisions, the food and stuff, would it came in twice a month. Right. And and people that were visiting and so on, came on that. Interesting. And, and the ship the ship was called El Arturo. El Arturo. That was the name the name of the boat the ship. It was a little like a tugboat kind of thing.
2: Right, right, right.
1: Because it was only like, I don't know, 90 miles from the islands to uh, the coast of Mexico. But you couldn't see that far, you know.
2: Right, right, right.
1: When we went, well, my father arranged for for his family, as he called it, to come and live with him. Because now I could, you know, now as I'm a grown up, I realize that he was doing all of that to get out of, to get released earlier
0: well what okay so hold on so what made you think that that's what he was doing
1: because immediately after we got out of the islands when he was releasing in kind of like probation right uh, he got got rid of Mary in Mazatlan right after we got freed okay so he just used her and the idea of having a family to convince the government that he, he was now, you know, more uh, peaceful and so on.
0: Right. Which was not the case.
1: <laughs> which is never the case with him. Wow.
0: And so then he got off the island because it worked, right? Like he got off the island.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... And he, he was still very nice looking and young looking. And then... And when he when they hit the uh, free world in Mazatlan, uh, th- there were a lot of women that were looking at him, you know, uh, catching glimpses of him in the marketplace, and and Mary became very upset about that, and that's when he decided that she had to go.
0: Right, because C- she was like upset so, with him.
1: So 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 right at Mazatlan, he divided the money that they had together. And he took off north, and she went back down to Mexico City or wherever she decided. And we we were all crying on the train station, you know. Uh,
0: were you? Did you go with your dad or with Mer, Mer, uh, Mary? With
1: him. With, we had to go with him. We belonged to him. Right. She took Rachel with her, which was her daughter, and my father took me and Connie. And when we got we got to the north, he couldn't go. He wanted to go back into the United States because he had lived here. Right. He even spoke some English a little bit, you know.
0: And did it work? Did they let him in?
1: Never. He, ne- he didn't have the means to fight it either. You know, he could have gotten a pardon and so on, but he never had the means to do it.
0: You mean financially? Yeah. And so then what happened?
1: As soon as we were able to get away from him, we came to the States, my sister and I. Uh and, uh, And he stayed in Mexico.
0: Did you ever hear from him again?
1: I used to go see him all the time.
0: And at this point, how old are you?
1: Well, I was um from 17 18 19 you know when even with my first wife I used to go there
0: whoa and 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 I guess like at this and point it, what what was your relationship with him like
1: well you know when I had grown to the degree where I was independent she just he was mesmerized by me he really liked me and you know kind of idolized me and everything, you know. But I always kept him at a distance, you know, because I, I never liked him, you know. I go see him and I, you know, and act well with him and everything, but but there was never really any real closeness. Right. Or any desire to spend time with him, no.
2: So then see,
1: it's very easy, this is something that I always say. It's very easy for me to forgive. But it's impossible to forget.
0: But then, that's not really f- forgiving, right?
1: Well, what I'm saying is, is that you know, uh, I, you know, I forgive him. You know, I. Uh, but but for me to forget what he done and the way he treated me and the way he treated my sister, especially, no.
0: Right, you can't forget that.
1: No, he was too cruel. He was just too vicious. I have a I have a wound in my head. It's on the right side of my forehead, uh-huh. and if you look real close, there's a big cut on it. He slammed me on a table and 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 made that impact. And to this day, it still hurts if you push on it. Wow. Yeah and he would corner me and he'd just use me as a punch- punching bag until he got tired you know
0: why was he so angry what was he angry at you for
1: for any reason not even a reason he just like he just he was just vicious cruel abusive to the max He was a horrible man, really, really horrible, horrible, horrible man. You know how I'm very permissive. I was very permissive with you when you were little and everything. You know? Yeah. I'm. Uh, he was the opposite.
0: Right, like if you did anything, he would just set him off.
1: Oh yeah, for no reason at all.
0: You know, you could have been the same way with me. Oh, no. A lot of... No, I'm not saying, like... I'm saying that because, like, a lot of people who grow up getting abused end up doing the same thing to their children.
1: Yeah, but I I never did. Not with my kids, with the the girls? No.
0: Mm. You know, that... I feel like that is, like, a pretty admirable thing to, like, break the cycle.
1: My ex-wife, my ex-wife was more violent with the girls than I. Much, 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 less.
0: Oh, I remember you telling me about Jeanette. I remember you told me that Jeanette had like this very masculine side to her.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was, to look at, she was beautiful. The body and everything. We were very nice, very nice. But? But she could be explosive.
0: was that like a turn-off or a turn-on for you
1: um i i didn't think about it too much but um when i caught her with some guy who's a cook at a restaurant and i caught her because she was very susceptible to men who uh who liked her you know right and one time I caught her with a sky and I just blew up. And uh when I found out the absolute truth, I walked up to her and I, I I connected with the left hand and I I hit her so hard that she flew off her shoes and landed on the street.
0: Jesus. What year was this?
1: Well, it was between um uh, between Sophia being about a year and a half old, and uh, and 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 Melissa was not born yet, so sixty one or something. Wow. Yeah, I almost killed that guy.
0: See, that's the thing. Is uh, I feel like this needs to be said for context. Is like, because it obviously in this day and age, like hitting a woman is like much more unacceptable. But, oh yeah. But Jeanette, sure. but Jeanette was very much like, cause I remember you telling me Jeanette would like, didn't she hit you too? And like, yeah. it was very, it was very like, not that that makes it okay. But like, it was just a different time period. And like,
1: she was actually fearless. In what way? You know, like, for example, one time we were on the beach. This is when we were not married yet. We were just going steady, you know? Right. And we were on the beach, and, uh, and there was a little brick, and then there was a sidewalk on the other side, you know? And we were on the other side of the little brick, and we were all laying down in the sand. Some other friends and stuff. And Jeanette thought that uh, this girl that was walking by said something about her. And so she got up and she called the girl and she says, are you talking about me? And the, and the girl just looked at her like, fuck you, you know? So my Jeanette says to her, you want to step around the corner over there? And the girl says, yeah, okay. So the minute they went around the corner, she cock, cold cocked her and dropped her. And the girl was on the ground crying immediately. <laughs> Jesus and, and Jeanette was ready to go, you know? Wow. Yeah.
0: That's intense.
1: Yeah. And the other one, Miriam, the one, the mother of that Claudia. You yeah. Say, she was even worse than, than Jeanette.
0: In that she was, like, violent?
1: Yeah. Wow. Her- Another girlfriend of hers would run after girls they didn't like and punch them out. <laughs>
0: it's kind of interesting that, like...
1: Unbelievable. It
0: It's kind of interesting that, like, both of those women have, like, very, very intense temper.
1: I know. Most of the women that I've, I had were very, very feisty. all of them
0: i find that to be very interesting okay i I am no psychologist by any means but i'm just i'm just like connecting dots like it 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 it, your dad was like a very 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 angry person and then it seems like a lot of the girls you ended up with were very 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 feisty and and kind of on that angry Mm -hmm. side Mm -hmm. I, i just i i just think that think that that's interesting
1: Interesting, huh?
0: The conversation got yeah. a little bit private here, so I went ahead and just completely decimated the next five minutes. Eventually, the conversation naturally kind of fades into us talking about Buddhism, which is a huge part of my dad's life.
1: Well, that's that's the best part of it, I think. How, how it all begins. See, um... I've always been interested in topics of the, of uh, philosophical topics, you know? Right. And so um, I remember that uh, I was still married to my first wife, and there was a group of people in Palm Springs. Right. They were all young men, you know? And they were all into different uh, schools of thought, different philosophies, you know? Uh huh. And I li- and I heard them talk about it, you know. But what they were into, which I can't really, really remember right now, what exactly it was, is some kind of a Eastern thought of some kind. Anyway, I-, I listened to them, and then I thought to myself, I really want to find out more about, you know, Eastern mysticism. You know, of course. So I went out and I got a book on Buddhism. And the book was full of uh
2: full of Hello? Hello?
0: Uh-oh. Hello? How about now? Uh, that works better. Me? Yeah, I can hear you now.
1: Okay. So I got a book on Eastern mysticism and Buddhism. Okay. And uh, in it, in that book, I heard for the first time about the Lotus Sutra. But because it was all um, Sanskrit, Sanskrit is the old language of India. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, the terms were all in Sanskrit. So the Lotus Sutra, in in that book, was known. It is the translation is Sudharma Pundarika. Okay. Sudharma Pundarika is the Lotus Sutra in Sanskrit. Uh-huh. So when I met this guy from Malaysia, I I never really knew exactly where he was from. Out of the blue, he kept he popped out into my life. This man, and he was a little guy too, not nothing big or anything. And he was uh, he was obviously very very uh, uh, new in the country because his English was very limited. Uh-huh. And she and started telling me, look, what I'm trying to tell you and what I want you to learn and to have is better than if you hit the lottery. It's better than all the wealth that you could dream of. It's, it's just the greatest thing he kept saying, you know?
0: Wow. That's a good sell.
1: <laughs> but because uh, he couldn't really articulate very well in English, you know?
0: It was hard to he translate could, uh, it.
1: So he started, uh, he said, I want you to uh, see something. So he took me to his house, Uh and he opened up his busadon, and he told me that was a busadon, and that the inside, and he opened it up, and he showed me for the first time in my life, the gohansen.
0: Which, for context, for people who don't know, it's just it's a scroll of paper inside of like yeah, a. There,
1: you know the Gohan thing that I have.
0: Oh no, I do. I, I was just explaining for context. uh, uh I think we just. Lost this episode him. was completely ruined and interrupted by MetroPCS. MetroPCS has cell phone coverage in some areas. And as long as you are within five feet of the tower, you are able to have service. What I will say, though, is it is a relatively affordable plan. So if you're low on money and you don't need dependable phone service in emergency moments, MetroPCS is the right phone company for you. I will say... Um. My cousin had a good experience with MetroPCS. And, you know, I mean, he was in the wilderness. He was traveling. And he came across a bear that had gotten into some cocaine that had been dropped by some illegal drug traffickers. And the bear found my cousin. My cousin ran. He shouldn't have run. And as he was reaching for his phone to call for help he dialed the numbers his phone screen his phone was about to die so he was really running on tight time and the bear was catching up on him he dialed 911 and right as the bear pounced on him and he knew it was too late he looked at the cell phone and there was no cell phone coverage So I can tell you something, you have cell phone coverage whenever you don't need it with MetroPCS. It's just in those few moments where you really need it, where they choose to screw you. That's why I choose literally any other platform other than MetroPCS. Now back to this podcast. Hey Siri, call dad.
1: Calling Dad.
0: Thanks, Siri. I feel like I'm on a talk show. Hello. Hey, man. I think I lost you there for a second.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah.
0: So you, so you said this guy took you to his house. He showed you his ghanzen, which is like a, it's like a, like something that you, 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 you like chant at. Uh,
1: Yeah, and he told me about namjohood and gakyo. Right. Right. But, you know, for the longest time, for about 20 years, I remember everything that he said, and I used to feel guilty that I didn't follow through with the practice. But then I realized just recently, not too long ago, I realized that she never actually invited me to a meeting. Right. So I never went to anywhere because he didn't ask me to go, because if I went to his house and saw the books down in the Gohantan I would have are you still there? Yes. I would have gone to it, you know.
0: Right, but you needed you. If you had been to a meeting, you definitely would have gone to it.
1: Yeah, I would have gone to it, but I never. He never invited me to one, so all this feeling guilty for twenty years about not pursuing it was not really my fault because he never asked me to go anywhere.
3: Uh,
0: yeah. True. But
1: anyway, this are just things that have happened. But. But but, he he, he planted the seed. uh, Huh?
0: He planted the seed.
1: He he most definitely did. But I had, since I had been reading that other book with all of the Sanskrit uh, words, remember? Yes. Prior to meeting him, I felt that. That what I had been reading was was much more valuable than what he had told me.
0: Right. You. You. It was almost. It was like. It was basically how I feel about meditation versus when you talk to me about it. It's like I hear you, but I have my meditation.
1: Right. I know. Okay. Well, it was just like that. Right. But now, uh, in retrospect, it was such a mistake to have taught you so lowly of what he was teaching me because this is the real thing but I didn't see it then you know right but anyway so so uh, I I remember that I remember that I saw a couple of times different places where I heard people chanting in Santa Monica and I thought I should go over there and listen to them or, or see if I could join or something but I never actually did right so, so I, it, it was always like a, you know, at, at, an, at an arm distance, you know. But sometimes when I was driving long trips, because I was very, very fond of doing long trips, like from, from, L.A. to, Mammoth Lakes, which is about, two hundred miles you the know, north. Right. And it's through the mountains, you know. So I used to, I used to chant, Namio Hering Gejo while
2: I was on that trip. Uh-huh.
1: So so it stayed with me, you
2: know. Right.
0: So let me ask you something. What what uh, Okay, so I think something that I've always had a hard time with with your Buddhism is you would always try to communicate with to me these teachings about Buddhism as a kid even and yeah. it was very hard for me to grasp what you were trying to communicate. Right. So to the person, if you were talking to a person that is very, very, I guess like logically minded, yeah. how, how would you describe what chanting actually does and why there's power in sitting in front of Uncle Hansen and chanting those words over and over and over again to a person that doesn't have any understanding of the mystic law or all these things that you grasp?
1: Because, because like, in the Sutra, it says, it doesn't matter if you don't understand a word of it or why it is so. Right. If you do it, if you do it, if you just drop your guard, don't think about it, and just do it, the results would convince you of it,
0: right? So, just to
1: but, just but to, what it is is that see, remember that whole thing that I told you about Dharma nature.
0: Yes, the essence okay. of everything.
1: We're well, right there, right there. That those those two words cover it all. Cover it all. It says the fundamental nature of enlightenment. That means that. Dharma nature is the fundamental nature of Buddhahood, of, of achieving enlightenment. Right. Because it's contained, it's contained, and the title of the Lotus Sutra is nam myo harin Right. So what the Buddha was trying to tell his disciples for 50 years is that if you only drop your doubts, and just embrace the lotus sutra; everything will fall into place. And there's no way, there's no way that a Buddha is going to lie to you, because if he does, that means that he's not a Buddha.
0: Right, but how can you tell if he is a Buddha?
1: By the actual, by his life, by his uh, his actions.
2: Right. Uh so,
1: for, for example, I'm taking care of this guy that has had uh, Jorge, the guy that we bought the, the scooter from? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm you're trying to get him, him to convert. Now. Huh?
0: You're, you're trying to get him into Buddhism.
1: No, I, I'm just showing him with my life. Right. That I don't need for him to give me any money or anything. That if there's anything I can do for him, I will do it.
0: And I'm sorry, where are you going with that?
1: That means that my life is showing compassion for his condition. Right. And that's what a Buddha does.
0: Compassion.
1: Compassion is a key word in Buddhism.
0: I think compassion is something that I've always had a hard time with. Like, I think I am compassionate, but... I think, like, actually, I don't even know See, if I am.
1: And uh, from a Buddhist perspective, yeah, the, 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 the actual interpretation of the word compassion is to feel someone else's pain as your own. Right. That's compassion. See, the Buddha was a prince. He had it all. And he dropped it all because he wanted to find the answers to the suffering of people. Right. Okay, that's ultimate compassion.
0: Right, because you're you're to- going ag- you're doing e- going against everything that feels comfortable and nice in order to
1: precisely. He he came to the very doors of death. Right. Chasing after that that the answers. He said, he said, when he made the determination to leave everything behind and go find the answers to his to his quest, he said, I either find the answers or I will die trying.
2: Talk about faith.
1: Ha and he became enlightened.
0: So let but me ask you something said- let me ask you something, Dad. Yeah. What to you what is enlightenment? Because I feel like it's kind of a vague term that people think of in a lot of different ways.
1: Enlightenment is a... Uh, it's the ultimate state of consciousness. Okay. It's sitting, sitting uh, somewhere and seeking the answer and the answer coming, out, coming to you like a fountain flowing out from inside of
0: you. Right. It's like being in touch with your innermost self.
1: Precisely. That is a, that, that's a great interpretation.
0: So, and the, and how would you say one achieves enlightenment?
1: By chanting nam myo Okay. So this is,
0: I think, where I can chime in because I feel like as a person that grew up listening to you tell me these things, and as a person who didn't grasp what you were trying to hint at, I feel like I started to understand what you were saying when I started to meditate. Good. Be- because, because I feel like what you get, what a person gets out of chanting is, you sit down and you say these words, over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again and you just listen to the sound of your own voice over and over and over for extended mm-hmm. periods of time mm-hmm. and by doing that you you kind of you're so you're so it's like a focal point you listen to your voice no matter what goes through your head so if you're suffering if you have a thought about this if you have a thought about that a regret anything no matter what goes through your head you can get distracted but the objective is to always come back to that sound of your voice just like in meditation how it's to always come back to that the 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 feeling of your breath or the sound of your breath
1: Remember I, what I told you about that number one go show, right? Number y- one go show. Yes. Okay? And 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 the title and Richard Cowston, who is that English guy that does those lectures on the on the on YouTube, she said the title has everything in it. Uh-huh. That's why Namio and has everything in it. But she, but the the title of the number one go show is. On Obtaining Buddhahood in This Lifetime. That's the title. Right. And On Obtaining Buddhahood in This Lifetime and Becoming Enlightened is the same thing.
0: Right, of course. Yeah, I know. Buddhahood <laughs> Buddhahood, and Enlightenment are the same thing.
1: Precisely. So she says on Matt Groeschel, if you wish to free yourself from the sufferings of birth and death that you have endured from time without beginning, because life is eternal, obviously. Right. From time to that beginning, and to accomplish without failure unsurpassed enlightenment in this lifetime, then you must perceive the mystic truth that is inherent in all living beings.
0: Okay, so That's this, not- okay, wait. So, so this is like, t- so from the perspective of a person that doesn't, understand that the mystic law sounds like a very, very vague and ungraspable thing.
1: Well, that's the reason why it's called the mystic law. Because mystic means beyond reason, beyond understanding. The mystic law, there is not a way to describe it really, in essence. Because th- it's mystical in nature,
0: I think that there is a way to describe it. Well, I so
1: I, I was trying to tell you that fundamentally, I, I was trying to tell you that 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 once you get past all of these hurdles and stuff, then you find out that the mystic love manifests itself in everything. It is the source of everything. This is the reason why it said. The true nature of all things and all phenomena, identifiable with the supreme law itself, Right. the essence of the Buddha's enlightenment, the absolute truth.
3: Ah,
0: uh, see, mean,
1: how much more can you, how much how much clearer do you need to, it to it, it be?
0: Because it's.
1: it's Uh, You never, you never, you never, mentally, you're never going to grasp it because it doesn't come to you through grasping it logically through a mental process. It comes through faith.
0: Yes. Okay. And so this is my, this is my, this is my definition of the mystic law. My definition of the mystic law is an absolute commitment to the moment. Because when you're and you say faith, right? So commitment to the moment, so no matter how shitty things get, no matter how crazy things are, no matter how bad of a person you think you are, no matter how great of a person you think you are, it's that commitment to let go of that and be in the present moment that mm-hmm. is that's that's what you mean when you say the mystic law. It's a commitment an utter and total commitment to being present in the moment no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. That's, I feel like that's what you're trying to say, but I, because when you say mystic law, it just sounds so obscure and it, and, and I feel like people, it's like talking to a baby, like, and talking about like complex algebra. Like, okay, they're not well, gonna, they're not gonna here's like.
1: The here's the thing. Yeah. Okay. You. Are 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 trying to unravel this huge net of the of things, you know, of of objects and things, you know.
3: Right.
1: And 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 it becomes really really difficult, you know, when you're trying to grasp it. This is what you're trying to do is grasp it, and it's not something that you will grasp. It's a thing that happens to you, and it, it. See your life condition from total darkness and ignorance and and, and, and idiocy and, and stupidity and all of that stuff, you grow from that those moments on and you're climbing up this pathway. And you know that you're moving upwards and that your life condition is increasing and that you're you're getting answers out of the blue, you know? especially when your life condition is really enhanced by your efforts. Right. And then, and see, and, and it's an effort. You know, it's like when you... See, this is the reason why Buddhism is a practice. It's not a religion. A practice means that every step of the way brings about results. Right. Whether you see them or not doesn't matter. That does not matter. You your effort is bringing about the results, right. conscious or whatever, and that's Nothing that's matters. where that
0: faith comes in because you can you can sit down and chant and it feels like you're getting nowhere, but that doesn't that doesn't matter. Right. What matters is the commitment, that faith in just continuing to practice.
1: Precisely. See, here's the thing. You know, it's like that that all analogy that they use, that Buddhism uses all the time, is that. You know, life in this human form is like a a, a small one-engine plane that sits in the hangar, covered with a well ro- cover and protected. Right. It's it's not growing. It's not going anywhere. It's nothing. Okay. But the minute that the effort is applied, you take it out on the runway. You know. And you burn a ton of fuel, you know, conquering that adversity of the winds. And then winds begin to lift your wings up. And you're suddenly soaring. And what got you to soar and all of that is the effort you made. Okay, so it's just like that. Just like that. Just believe in the effort that you're making and you will be in the sky already.
0: And that applies okay. to, like, anything you're trying to accomplish.
1: Precisely. Precisely. It's not any different than anything else. No. Yes.
0: That's why you always tell me to believe in myself no matter what I do.
1: Precisely. Because there you will learn that, that you know, everything's already inside of you. Right. It's just awakening to it. Right. All living things possess the law in it. That's why it says the true nature of all things and all phenomena identifiable with the supreme law itself. It's one and the same. And then it says the essence of the Buddhist enlightenment. Absolutely. See, once you start getting up into the sky from your efforts and stuff, yeah. Then 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 you'll say, Ah, now I see Ah and all these discoveries begin to take place, you know? Right. And what is what is happening is you are dispensing you're doing away with the ignorance that has been holding you back. That's all.
2: Right. You just
0: have to keep showing up
1: precisely precisely and the more effort you make the the greater the results
2: right wow
1: but you know there's also other things to consider you know it's like the inherent darkness is also inside of you you can't take it away
0: right you just have to learn to work
1: with it yes so you have to learn you have to learn what that's all about to see The inherent Darkness are, are in a very colloquial way, the the demons, the darkness of ignorance and stuff, they're going to attack you like nobody's business, you know? Right. But if you defeat them, okay, then your growth will be like straight up. Right. See? So actually, the fighting the demons is what gets you way up there. Right. It's like that the adversity of the wind that actually lifts your whole thing. So in the sense right? it's
0: so so in the sense it's you need the demons, you need the dark side.
1: Precisely, precisely that's why there's no separate way. The only thing that you need to do is to learn the middle way. And the middle way is to to recognize that side and this side, you know? Right. And how they interrelate, you know? Right. That's why Richard Castan says there is no way in the world that all the adversity that that the, the, the dark side of the forest throws at you that could, that, it, that, could, that it can defeat you. you will have to surrender to it to be defeated by it. as long as you put the effort you're going to climb over it right See? and that's the middle way you know <sighs> It's through engagement right. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. I know. Thank you. I, I know. But, you know, my need, my tremendous need at this point in time in my life is to make you see that. You know, it's like when I was with Sophia. Right. When, when Sophia, before she even started to really, really grasp, you know, we were at FMCC the first time. Yeah. And they asked, they asked her. How did you come about to becoming a Buddhist? And then she smiles and she says, Well, my dad has been spoon feeding me Buddhism since I was quite young. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, same here.
1: And I thought to myself, Wow, what a compliment. Literally. Oh, God. But this is the reason why Sophia and I are so close now, you know, is because. She really sees, you know. She works hard. Right. Hard. You know, she understands the value. I used to, before she got this 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 great life condition, before I used to say, Sophia, am I losing you here or what's up? She'd say, she'd say real silently like, she'd say, Dad, I'm all in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's funny. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, yeah, and but I love
0: the thing is though that like e- now we're closer together because I understand where you're coming from.
1: Of course. Of but course. when I was
0: younger, it you drove us apart.
1: Yeah, right. Because you thought I was I was having lunch. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean,
0: it's but not so that, much. do not. So I much, don't,
1: I don't know, I don't understand how you can say that because one time when you were real little you said to me, right after your mother threw me out of the house, you say, Dad, how is it for you now? you know, and I say, Well, son Alvaro, I I have good days and I have bad days and you say, Well dad, I know why is that and I say, Well, why is it? She, she says, Because Dad, you are become enlightened <sighs> I couldn't believe
0: you said that.
3: You know? <laughs> I, I think
0: okay to be honest i think i was saying that because i think that that's like
1: it's I don't what know. i needed to hear yeah
0: exactly
1: I know i know but you said it so beautifully
0: thank you it thank you matter. yeah it i doesn't... mean public speaking is my forte so
1: good <laughs> remember that when you're on the stage i will I want you to be great al about, about that
0: i i mean i'm just gonna keep putting in effort. No matter what happens.
1: Well, remember that the plane doesn't take off into the into the heavens without without the effort. effort. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I promise.
1: I know. I I feel like.
0: I mean, maybe it's too soon to say this, but like, I there was one night where I was laying in bed, and it was like, I could almost feel that, like, I've chosen what mm-hmm. i want to commit to mm-hmm. it was like i just it was like i don't even care how bad i am on stage i don't care what happens like mm-hmm. i'm just going to keep just punching that wall and just showing up the way, yes yes
1: yes but you know what kind of pleasure i will feel when i go into in the audience Infinite. When you like on top of it and, and, you, and you arrive, man, I say to myself, I will say to myself, my goddess, does this kid make me feel happy to the extreme?
3: That's
0: not to sound sad or anything, but that's, that's why you got to stay healthy, man. Because um, well, I, I got to be honest with you, the way my jokes are looking right now, <laughs> it might be a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no I know I know uh, so, you know I've already I've already lasted eight, almost 80 years right and, and you know when I started with your mother when we were driving that little pickup truck and didn't have any money and we were getting lost all over Boston yeah I uh I never gave up I said okay here's what I have to do I have to marry her real quick so that she can get to work and to do what she needs to do. Right. And I have to become a citizen as quickly as possible so that she gets the papers quickly. And you know what I did? I did exactly exactly that. And got her the papers, to the, the permit to go to work right away. And I married her right there, and I became a citizen right within the same few months. As soon as I could, I did. Okay? Yeah. And from then on, look it. I know. I know that she thinks I'm a piece of shit. And I know that, uh, you know, I was really, really hard, harsh on her, you know? Yeah. But. Um, I've never heard
0: you say that before. That you were harsh uh, on her. <laughs>
1: I was really... I deserved... I deserved being thrown out, yes.
0: Why do you think you were harsh on her?
1: Because I wanted her to become great. Right. But she, she, in certain areas, she wouldn't grow up.
2: Mm.
0: But I feel like that's... Yeah. Like... It's like a problem of communication. Right around here, the conversation got a little bit private again. So I went ahead and took that part out too. Eventually, the conversation kind of morphs into a different topic. We start getting into the father of someone we know and the struggles that he had. Her dad had a really shit, not that it justifies whatever happened, but like... Her dad had a really, really shitty, like, upbringing. Like, he was, I think he was, like, five when they just, he just started laying brick. Like, Mm -hmm. he, from a child, was just working. And that's all he knew. He wasn't Mm -hmm. very educated. He didn't get those opportunities. He was just put to work.
1: He was ignorant to the 10th power,
0: man. Well, I mean, would you be any different if you were born into that?
1: Hey, I was born in a worse spot than he was.
0: That's valid. That's valid. But huh? No, that's valid. What you're saying is valid. Like, you were. But I guess I'm just... I don't know. I guess its it's, it's easy to say, like... Especially for me, because I grew up in, like... I grew up with a Buddhist father in a well-off neighborhood with no trauma at all. Like, so it's, it's hard for me to say, oh, if, if I, if I was born into father's shoes, I would be totally different, right? Like, I feel like you can't, I feel like people are a product of their environment,
1: well, you know, there's only that's only 50% of the equation.
0: That's true. That's true. I I don't think it's all of it because like you can have two people like you said two people born in shitty conditions and they can end up being totally different.
1: Look at I was born to nothing really, okay? And and I was among a whole bunch of pretty gifted kids when I was little, when I was young. Yeah. There's some there's some killer guys in Mexico okay yeah they were my they were my friends okay but I I grew them and I went away and I went on and on and on and on okay and so I I have a hard time uh, accepting that people just like oh they were born to a brick I was born to a shoemaker right who never saw hardly any school right okay. And who was a fucking monster to boot. Right. Okay. And all of that. And yet I have, I have been to the best places. I knew Frank Sinatra. I ate food in his, on his table. You know? Right. I mean, and I've had people, quality people of the world say, you are great to me.
2: Right, they
1: they see something that I don't even see. This is what my 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 therapist said to me one one, one couple of times. He said, "Yeah, you know what your problem is? You, you don't know, know how, how
2: great, great you, you are."
1: I mean, here is a guy with a triple PhD, brilliant. Bri- the man was brilliant. Okay, yeah, and 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 dearly loved by me, Men to men. This guy. He looked like Don Quixote de la Mancha, okay? <laughs> he did. His hair went everywhere and you know, he didn't care about anything but when he talked about things, man, the man was very, very, very on, okay? Right. And I loved him, you know? Like that like that Dr. on in Saudi. The guy with my own birth my birthday. Ah. Oh god what i'm what i what am intellect okay mm. and he told me the same thing he says no you don't have any problems he said to me <laughs> <laughs> and we came out of his office and it was 11 o'clock at night and he says you know i just love to talk he says to
0: right me. I, I agree with you i mean i don't think a, a... I, I think it's a little bit of both. Like, a pers- like to an extent, a person is a product of their circumstance, but not entirely.
1: Not entirely, it's,
0: yes. You know, it's never the extremes. Like, when somebody asks... The or, middle way. The always. middle way. This is what I always say. Bro, if you ask any of my friends, whenever there's an argument where it's like, is it this or is it this? It's never either or. It's always in the middle.
1: Precisely.
0: It's like it's like for example, like I had an argument for years with this with my roommate Joe, and the ar- the argument was what's more important intention or consequence and for years we argued and I always argued intention and he always argued consequence and then in after like four years, we were like, yeah, it's a little bit of both mm-hmm. and I don't know, I think that's kind of cool. It's like whenever you have an argument about the extreme about what's right, what's wrong, it's never either or.
1: I don't know. Yeah. 10 th- almost ten thirty.
0: Oh yeah, I should probably go to bed.
1: Yeah, you need to because I don't want you to make 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 you be late. But you know, just just listen to me on a couple of things. You know. What's that? Listen to your own heart. Okay. Yeah. And find the greatness in you. I'm trying. Well, you know what? You know what? You you you're a hundred. A hundred miles ahead of me at this point in your life.
0: Mm. Well, because of you.
1: Well, I don't know about that. I'm just telling you, I mean, you you are, you're, you're, you're an intellectual, really.
0: Mm. Thank you. And so am I. You are.
1: In my own way.
0: We are two intellectuals.
1: Yes, we are. And this is the, this is what makes us one.
3: Mm.
0: all right well i think this is a great place to end the podcast pardon me this is a great place to end the podcast
1: okay but remember you know um you you still need work really hard all the time
0: i will never stop
1: and never forget that this is a fleeting event this life
0: it's just so a ride
1: don't waste don't waste your time live it live it live every moment I will. Okay.
0: All right. I love you, Dad.
1: I love you too, son.
0: All right. Good night.
1: Till the next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: Wow. That was... That was... uh, That was a good talk. I'm trying to think of something... end this episode but i feel like i should just end it where it is (laughs) um so if you've listened this far um i hope you enjoyed getting to know my dad um and seeing how we talk and how we get along um so yeah uh have a good night take it easy and um don't stay up too late tonight guys because
3: I already have, and I am screwed. Good night.